this is Lou Rosenfeld talking to you live from the Rosenfeld Media Headquarters in Brooklyn, New York. And today I'm talking with this up and coming kid uh, that uh, is making quite a, a splash in the information architecture community. Goes by um, Morville, I believe. Is that how, did I pronounce it right? You got it right, Lou, and uh, thanks so much for that, that lovely intro. I, uh, I'm just so happy to be a youngster here in this community today. Peter, you're always going to be younger than I am. I'm, I hate to break it to you. Uh, but And when you and I met, which is probably going back to 1992? Yes, that sounds right. About right. Um, that, uh, I guess it's about a three or four year difference really was a big one. And now we're old farts and it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been kind of tied at the hip for uh, quite a long time. Peter and I, if you haven't heard of it, uh, co-authored the Information Architecture for the World Wide Web book, uh, the Polar Bear book. I don't remember what it's been retitled at, but it's now in a fourth edition. Uh, thanks to, um, in large part, to Jorge Arango for um, dragging us forward and, and making sure that fourth edition came out uh, last October. But yeah, we've been doing that and we've been, we ran Argus Associates and we've collaborated on the Information Architecture Institute and you've helped out on Rosenfeld Media. And I, you know, I don't really, it's like, it's kind of hard for me to figure out what to talk with you about because our lives have been so, um, as they say, intertwingled. Well, you know, it's funny if, if we go back to that, that auspicious meeting in 1992, as I recall, I was uh, interviewing you uh, as part of my student project at the uh, School of uh, Library Studies, uh, Information and Library Studies at the University of Michigan, and uh, I was recording the interview on an old-style cassette recorder, which was state-of-the-art back then, and uh, the main thing I remember about the interview is, is I remember you complaining that the students at the school weren't interested in the internet. And I ended up coming back to you and saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a student and I'm interested in the internet. You know, what are you going to do for me? Uh, so, you know, the, uh, the technology has changed, but, but the fact that you're complaining hasn't. That's right. I mean, if you were interviewing me today and we were both there, I'd be complaining about the students not being interested enough in libraries. Right. <laughs> Well, some things, uh, you know, never change. Um, but, it, you know, it is, it is funny that, I mean, we really were fortunate to, to be there just as the Internet was, was, was beginning to go mainstream, um, you know, at a time when the number of people who were on the Internet and interested in the Internet were, was fairly small. And, and, and as we were going through that transition from uh, the kind of old-style tools of Telnet and FTP and Gopher to a, a kind of a graphical web browser... And, you know, I think a lot of our early ideas were, of course, formed, you know, uh, at that time when, when we were just trying to help people understand what is the Internet. Uh, and, of course, in the, in the last 20 years, things have changed so much that today's kids just take it for granted. Well, you know, and I, I think what I remember a lot about that time was having a bit of a missionary zeal that I, I sometimes wish I could recapture, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, one of the things that we really believed very strongly in was that um, librarianship, not libraries or librarians necessarily, but the, the concept of the principles of organizing, structuring information, had untold value uh, and relevance in the era of the Internet if only people would pay attention. 
And conversely, I think we felt the need to sort of bring that message back to sort of the conservative library science programs that uh, University of Michigan was when we started there. Uh, and so we kind of were, were, I really felt like we were missionaries um, to bring the library message to the broader world and to, to bring the the promise of all kinds of relevant work um, outside of libraries back to the library world. So here's my question for you, and it's one for myself too. Um, were we and people like us successful? Yes and no. I mean, I think that it was an idealistic time on the internet when there was this sense of enormous potential and certainly those of us coming from the library world just saw it as this this incredible potential for sort of creating and sharing information and knowledge all around the world uh, in totally new ways and not viewing it with a, a very strong commercial perspective. Um, I think that clearly the internet in certain ways has has kind of gone beyond what any of us imagined at the time. Some of the capabilities are amazing. Uh, on the other hand, you know, the the commercialization, the ads that are winking and blinking and popping up everywhere, uh, some of the invasion of privacy. I mean, there's a, there's a dark side to the Internet uh, that I certainly didn't anticipate and that, you know, sometimes makes me a little sad about how it's evolved. Yeah, you know, I, I keep coming back to this. Well, first of all, I, I was just having lunch with a friend today, and I was complaining about how I already had kind of, screwed up my new year's resolution and i think it's like it's today's january 6th so this is really pitiful about how this technology it's not just the 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 internet and the content on it but it's the devices as well obviously uh, i i basically can't put my iphone down uh and i go to bed with it and i i can't fall asleep without it it's it's really pitiful and you know so there's there is a lot of darkness that's really invaded our worlds and what I'm wondering is, you know, as we, as, you know, we kind of get caught into this period of more and more walled gardens. I mean, I, I heard a, a number that something like, you know, 80% of internet traffic is going through 10 sites now, where it was like, you know, 20% going through the top 10 sites 10 years ago. You know, so we get, we have these walled gardens and there's so much control in the algorithms that essentially curate our information. Have you seen anything that gives you any hope that those algorithms might be modeled on people like librarians who operate with values? In other words, can the algorithm that Facebook uses to basically curate our information feeds have values or be developed with values like the ones we learned back in library school? Yeah, so let me, I'm going to answer that in kind of a weird way, I think. Um, you know, so I, I was working very hard the, the last couple of months of 2015 and really looking forward to the Christmas holiday. And I took a couple of weeks mostly off. And it was a great time to spend, you know, it was great spending some time with family and, and uh, eating and drinking and doing a little skiing and so forth. But towards the end, I felt myself being dragged into kind of a darker view, um, partly because I was paying a little more attention to the news, um, partly because of what I was reading. Um, but I also think partly because I wasn't working. And you could argue that the, the, the values that are reflected on the Internet today um, are kind of mirroring the, some of the, the values in our broader culture and some of the problems with our broader culture, sort of the oligarchy uh, status of 
countries like the United States. But when I get back to work, and I'm, I'm working with organizations and with people, you know, trying to sort of uh, improve the user experience for, for real people out there, that really cheers me up and gives me a sense of purpose. And what I think is that uh, it's easy if you, if you focus on, on uh, CNN.com to be pulled into thinking about the world at the kind of the highest levels of politics and finance and so forth. And yet we spend most of our working lives in other worlds, right, in different bubbles um, where we can, we have more opportunity to, to sort of shape and create values. So, you know, the, the information systems that I work on uh, in my consulting life, you know, those are opportunities to sort of make the world better for real people. And, you know, for me, that's why I kind of like coming back to work. Well, Peter, you know, it's like, it just makes me think of the old saying, old news is local, and maybe all values and maybe all relevance is local as well. So you're, you're finding values that you can apply directly and, and maybe can help others apply or at least think through in the line of, of work that you're doing in terms of consulting. And I, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. That makes perfect sense to me. For a while you were teaching at our alma mater, the University of Michigan High School, I know it's been a few years since you've done that, but um, were you feeling that as a program like that one that made that transition from traditional librarianship, which was by many's consideration quite vocational, to, but also really placed a lot of emphasis on values to something that was more uh, techno-centric, um, do you think that they lost like a focus on values and ethics in that transition. And, and do you get that sense when you meet uh, the younger generation of people in our field that they've also sort of, they may not have gotten the same exposure to values uh, that, that we might have when we were in, in grad school many years back in the, in the 90s and 80s? That's a, a very tricky question. Um. <laughs> yes. Sorry, but I get um, to ask it. I do feel that one of the best parts about going to the School of Information and Library Studies back in the early 90s, being kind of at a library school, um, you know, being there physically and not through sort of a distance education program, you know, interacting with the, the professors and the students kind of on a Friday evening um, over drinks. I mean, I felt that I did soak up uh, many of the values of librarianship that, that really kind of have helped to make me who I am today. And so that was a really wonderful experience and, and part of my life. I do worry that in a program like the, you know, the current School of Information where you've had the positive side has been you've had people from all sorts of different disciplines coming into the faculty. And so from an intellectual perspective, it's much more rich and dynamic than it was when we were there. But it's very hard when you're coming from, you know, when you're trying to sort of bring people from all these different disciplines together, you do lose the, you know, you, you sort of have to um, uh, lose the values uh, that come from each of those fields. And so, yeah, I think that there's there's a bit of a, a, a I mean, I think we're almost living in kind of a post-cultural time. Uh, I think, you know, the I think that the United States, uh, you know, there's all this talk about the melting pot. But in, in many ways, we 
um, you know, we're, we're by by mixing people from so many different backgrounds, we kind of lose uh, certainly that kind of traditional culture. So there's things gained and things lost. Well, all right. Well, let's fast forward then to the present. So we've got this burgeoning field of user experience designers, and I don't know if you would agree, but I, I feel like one of the things that makes us stand out makes us maybe feel like we're the, the chosen people to some degree is that we are charged with and have taken on the role of humanizing today's technology infused experiences, right? I mean, we're the ones who are supposed to think, put people at the center of whatever activity we're involved in uh, and having empathy with those people and understanding their 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 contexts and 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 doing things that really ideally make their lives better. I, I mean, it's, I don't know if you agree with, well, let me ask you, do, you, do you agree with that? Is that, are we truly the humanists of the 21st century? I think there's some, there's some truth to that, but the, I would sort of say that's a, a kind of an idealistic description of the user experience practice or community. What I see is there's a certain amount of personal choice uh, and, you know, that's sort of involved in the kind of user experience you practice. I mean, it, it reminds me of a visit I, I made um, at least 10 years ago. I was, um, I was in the D.C. area, and I, I, I was asked to talk to some of the senior folks at U.S. News & World Report. And we were just sort of having a conversation about how I might be able to help them. And at a certain point after the, the sort of nice introductions, they basically sort of put it to me, like, how, how are you going to help us to make more money um, by getting, you know, either more people to our site or more people to click on our, you know, our ads and so forth. And I just said, I, that's really not, that's really not what I do, right? I can, I, you know, U.S. News and World Report kind of, for me, represented a tremendous sort of library of content. And there would be so many interesting opportunities to provide better access to that content and help people, you know, kind of navigate and explore and discover, but they had a very bottom line focus at the time. And I said, that's really not something I can help you with. And it didn't really go any further. I mean, there's a lot of folks within the user experience world who are focused on, uh, you know, how do we increase conversions? How do we get people to, you know, click here, click there? Um, and, you know, that's not the side of UX that interests me. And it's, it's a side that is you know, it's very closely aligned with big business and, and the sort of the growth uh, kind of demands that, that folks are experiencing. So I, I feel like I would argue that UX is sort of neutral, right? There's kind of a good and a, a good uh, sort of from a from an ethical perspective, there's sort of a, a light and a dark side and you can kind of decide which, which you go. Well, but I don't know, that feels a little too... I don't know, black and white to me, to be honest, like there, there's got to be some gray. I mean, you know, ultimately we, we have to create um, value that, uh, you know, sustains organizations that in turn sustain us, right? We have to get paid. There has to be some uh, income generated from our activities. It doesn't necessarily mean that it, it's predatory, I mean, arguably, you know, a user experience person that's focused on conversions might be doing so on behalf of like a really great nonprofit, right? I mean, they're, they're so, 
you know, it, there's there's a lot of grayness there, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think maybe we're we're not. I think we have a lot of potential to be those humanists, but we haven't necessarily very concretely asked ourselves those questions about where we are in that that scale and how do we maybe be be self aware so that we don't slip into the into the to, to the dark side because it's a slippery slope naturally. Uh, so we probably have to recalibrate from time to time. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know what fields have really taken on ethics to that degree that they're constantly asking themselves that question. Maybe, uh, hopefully, psychotherapists and, and uh, other caregivers. I, I just don't know. But, you know, then uh, the, the question I was going to get at was, you know, assuming there is a sort of ethical or value-driven ethos in the user experience world, I don't know that it's expanded to tackle what we were really being missionaries about a long time ago in terms of information and its curation. And I, I you know, I think content strategists touch on it a bit, but I'm not really, I, I, I mean, the IA community kind of does, although I sometimes I think we take it for granted a bit or, 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 or we're focused on other things and we're kind of hoping to get to the curation uh, ethics uh, at some other point and it, it's never really front of mind. I, I, what, what's your take on that? Do you feel like we're we're doing it? I mean, that's what I I find so exciting about uh, you know the information architecture and user experience communities at the moment is that from an intellectual perspective, there's just a vast landscape to explore. You know, so what I was working with Harvard Business School's Baker Library on last year was this kind of holistic cross-channel evaluation of the user experience and how we can improve it. Right, so. Um, with, you know, there was a, a focus in on the website and how that can, you know, play better within the, the broader ecosystem. Uh, but a very powerful recognition that it's not just about a website anymore. It's about uh, how it's about the people and it's about the physical place and it's about the services and it's about how these all work together. And so, you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of user research and kind of prototyping and design that, you know, we, we've only scratched the surface of how to, how to do this kind of work well in a kind of a cross-channel environment. That's one, you know, huge chunk of, of, I think, the work ahead for us. But, you know, a whole different side is kind of what you're getting at is sort of on the, you know, the information literacy side of, you know, how do people learn and, you know, how can we be better teachers, you know, online and offline? Uh, how can we, uh, you know, better share information so it actually has a real impact on the world? I think that there's just uh, a big spectrum of stuff that, you know, no one person can can kind of be an expert in all of this. And, and so thankfully we have a, a kind of a, a large kind of robust community with people who are kind of chasing down, uh, you know, interesting opportunities in, in these areas. Well, yeah, I mean, it is a, a wide landscape, and it, it's certainly not going to narrow anytime soon. Before we started this interview or this conversation, I, I was thinking we should be, you know, reminiscing about the last 20 years and, and then, you know, thinking about what we might be looking back on 20 years from now. Uh, and if the first 20 years was just prelude to much more interesting things, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not sure if the conversation we have in 20 years about this very topic would be 
or will be that much different than the one we're having now. And, and I don't know, it makes me a bit sad, but my gut is that the issues are, are still going to be looming large. And it's like with any other area that's driven by technology, we're always just playing catch up. The ethics play catch up. Uh, the values play catch up. You know, I, I keep thinking back to the, uh, Stuart brand pace layering model. Uh, and, uh, there's those slow moving areas that feel like they're the ones that we should be operating in. But, um, I don't know, maybe 20 years is not, not enough time. We need to, to wind this uh, conversation down, but hopefully you'll bring it to a, a happier conclusion than the one I'm pointing to. Well, you know, I, I do see this in a positive light. I mean, I, I think we sort of experienced this with the Polar Bear book through its four editions. Uh, you know, in the first edition, we worked hard to try to try to capture some timeless principles of information architecture. And there's a core of that book and, and the, the practice of information architecture that, you know, has uh, survived, you know, a couple of decades. At the same time, there's a lot that's changing and that kind of keeps us on our toes. You know, we need to keep learning. I do think that often one of the mistakes I see people making is thinking that there's that, that, that everything has changed. And I, and I really do think that the pace layering model is valuable in kind of helping people to, to sort of see that you've got some fast moving layers, you've got some slower moving layers. And the challenge for someone who wants to improve um, systems or design better systems is, is to strike a balance, to find the right kind of place within their particular context where they can kind of uh, get some leverage and, and, and make positive change. Well, you, you, you brought it to a happier place. So, well, thanks. I, I didn't want to go into the end of this podcast feeling like uh, there is no hope because there is hope. And I think you're right. I, I do think that this is a really energetic community and uh, there's a lot of good stuff at the slow layers. And I think, uh, you know, the technology isn't necessarily going to outpace all the kind of cool ideas that react to it that our community is going to come up with. Either way, it's going to be a pretty cool 20 years. So um, let's let's get it on the calendar for um, for 2036 uh, to uh, have a follow-up uh, interview. What do you say? Sounds good, Lou. All right. Well, thanks, Peter. It's great talking with you. Wish you a great new year coming up. And uh, we will catch you, hopefully, uh, again before 2036. Thanks a lot. Take care.